Father, we praise you, Lord. We worship you. We bow at your footstool, Father. And Father, we just pray you open your word unto us, O Lord. You reveal to us what you would have us to glean from your word. And Father, forgive us for the things we don't know, Lord. The things we weren't taught by our fathers and our grandfathers, O Lord. We just thank you and praise you now in Yeshua's name. Amen. Exodus 19. One through nine. In the third month after B'nai Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, that same day they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. They traveled from Rephidim, came in, into the wilderness of Sinai, and set up camp in the wilderness of Israel. In, oh, excuse me, in the wilderness. Israel camped there right in front of the mountain. Moshe went up to God, and Adonai called him from the mountain, saying, Say this to the house of Jacob and to B'nai Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I carried you on the eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you listen closely to my voice and keep my commandments, then you will be my own treasure from among the, all people, and all the earth is mine. So as far as you, you will be to me a kingdom of priests of Koinim and a holy nation. These are the words which you are to speak to B'nai Israel. So Moses went, called of the elders of the people, and put before them all these words that Adonai had commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, Everything that Adonai has spoken, we will do. Then Moshe reported the words of the people to Adonai. And Adonai said to Moshe, I am about to come to you in a thick cloud so that the people will hear when I speak to you and believe you forever. Then Moshe told the words of the people to Adonai. In Exodus 20, he goes on to outline commandments, the uh, the law. And then in Exodus 21, now these are the ordinances which, uh, concerning the Shemitah, now these are the ordinances which you will set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve for six years, and in the seventh, he is to go free without payment. If he comes in by himself, he is to go out by himself. If he was married, then his wife will go out with him. If his master gave him a wife, and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children will be her masters, and he will go out free by himself. 
But if the servant plainly states, I love my master, my wife, and my children, and will not go out free, then his master is to bring him to God, then take him to a door or to a doorpost. His master is to pierce his ear through with an awl, and he will serve him forever. If a man sells his daughter to be a maidservant, she is not to go free as the male servants do. If she does not please her master, who has selected her for himself, then he is to allow her to be redeemed. He will have no power to sell her to a foreign people, seeing as he has dealt deceitfully toward her. If he betroths her to his son, he must give her the rights of a daughter. If he takes another wife, he is not to diminish her food, her clothing, or her marriage rights. If he does not provide these three to, uh, to her, then she is to go free without payment. I believe this applies to debt also. If someone owes you, or they are indebted to you, are they not enslaved to you by that debt? Did you ever notice if someone owes you that they will try to avoid you? Or if you owe someone, you don't like to go around them. And as they say, that Thanksgiving meal don't taste as good when you're eating with someone that you owe money to. Proverbs 22.7, we went over it earlier. <clears throat> the rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. So if slaves were to go free, were debts not to go free also? Let us look at uh, Leviticus 25. Eight through thirteen. You are to count off seven Shabbats of years, seven times seven years, so that the time is seven Shabbats of years, forty-nine years. Then on the uh, tenth day of the seventh month, on Yom Kippur, you are to sound a shofar blast. You are to sound the shofar uh, all throughout your land. You are to make the fiftieth year holy. And proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It is to be a jubilee to you when each of you is returned to his own property and each of you is to return to his family. The 50th year will be a jubilee. You are not to sow or reap that which grows by itself or gather from the untended Vines, since it is a jubilee, it is to be 
Only to you, you will eat from its increase out of the field. This is a year of jubilee. Each of you will return to his property. And then uh, Genesis 12.3 is, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And then going on to Deuteronomy 15. One and two. At the end of every seventh year, you are to cancel debts. You get that? We were talking about it last week, and some of them said, uh, is, is debts included in that? Right here, Deuteronomy 15, one. At the end of every seventh year, you are to cancel debts. Verse 2, this is to how you are to cancel debts. Every creditor is to release what he has loaned to his neighbor. He must not force his neighbors or his brothers to repay, for Adonai's debt cancellation has been proclaimed. And then in 15.9, I'm reading from the Tree of Life, and they, oh, there we go. They put it right in the middle of the rest of the writing. Watch yourself so there is no unworthy thing in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of cancellation, uh, canceling debts, is near, and your eye is evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing. Then he may call out to Adonai against you, and it will be a sin upon you. And on that uh, Leviticus 25, 14 through 16, tells how you are to redeem the land are its worth. Is it possible that there exists a 3,000-year-old mystery that lies behind everything from the implosion of the New York Stock Exchange, the collapse of the American and world economy, the attack of 9-11, the rise of nations, the fall of nations, and events that have not yet happened but are yet to take place. Is it possible that the words of an ancient text are determining and controlling the future of the financial realm, the business realm, and the economic realm? 
Is it possible that an ordinance given to a relatively small, obscure, Middle East nation is now determining the future of every nation of the earth? Is it possible that a spiritual principle given to a nation of shepherds and farmers lies behind the expansion and collapse of virtually every stock market in the world? Is it possible that a mystery begun over 3,000 years ago on a desert mountain pinpoints the exact time down to dates, hours, and some of the most critical events of modern time? And is it possible that this mystery is even now governing the future of everyone in all lives and most of the inhabitants of this planet? Could there be an ancient phenomenon lying beneath some of the most critical events of modern times? Could this phenomenon be operating behind some of the most traumatic, monumental collapses of Wall Street and the global economy? Could this phenomenon underline some of the most colossal events of modern times? Could this phenomenon from ancient times be so precise that it has not only determined events in the modern world, but also ordained their timing down to the exact date, hour, and even minute. Could this phenomenon already be affecting, shaping, and altering our lives and the lives of virtually everyone we know? Does this ancient mystery hold the key to what the future holds, what is yet to come. Are there signs and harbingers warning us of what lies ahead? Will America, excuse me, will the American age as we know it continue for many more years? Or will, or will we witness its end? Is America in danger of, of a coming calamity, a collapse, uh, a collapse, even judgment? What does the future hold for the world? Pieces of the puzzle. The Shemitah is to years what the Sabbath is to days. Shemitah takes place every seven years. It is unique and distinct from the uh, other six years that uh, preceded. It is a year of cessation, release, and rest. The ceasing of what has not ceased up to the time of its coming. The Shemitah specifically touches the financial realm and economical realms. It leads and builds up to a calamity, uh, 
excuse me, to a climatic final day, Elul the 29th, the day of remission, the day of nullification. On Elul the 29th, all debts are canceled, all credit released, and the nation's financial accounts are transformed and wiped clean. The Shemitah is sweeping, it's radical, it's extreme. Its effects, consequences, and repercussions bear key similarities to that of the financial and economical collapse. Lamentations 1 and uh, 1 through 5, and just kind of uh, condensing it down. How lonely sits a city that was full of people. How like a widow is she, who was great amongst the nations. All her gates are desolate. Her children have gone into captivity. Jeremiah 2, 4 through 11. And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, but you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear. They said, Repent now, every one of his evil ways and his evil doings, and dwell in the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers forever and ever. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my word, this whole land shall be desolate and an astonishment, and those nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. The book of Second Chronicles shared, uh, sheds a little more light on the same destruction and the exile of which Jeremiah prophesied. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, but they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. Therefore he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans. They burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all his palaces with fire. It's Second Chronicles thirty six fifteen through nineteen. Sounds kind of like this nation, doesn't it? We haven't listened to the nation as a whole. We haven't listened to the messengers that have brought messages. Jonathan Cahn's message went nationwide that they're. Uh, the harbinger, in the mystery of the Shemitah. With both of them, he even talked before uh, high government officials. Many of them all sat together in the same room. It seems like as a nation, we're still disregarding them, thumbing our nose at God. 
The account goes on to speak those carried away into exile, and then the missing. Uh, and those who escaped from the sword be carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Second Chronicles 36, 20 and 21. But could there be more to it? Could the mystery of the Smita still be at work? Moving, impacting, and altering the course of the world history. Even in the modern world. Even in our day. If so, what form would it take on? How would this Shemitah manifest itself in the modern world? The Shemitah... would affect the economy. It would be an economy collapse. Over the course of the Shemitah, the nation's production is severely decreased. During the Shemitah, the nation's labor is greatly reduced and comes to cessation. During the Shemitah, buying and selling of the land's produce are restricted and the fruits of labor are abandoned. On its climatic day, at Lul 29, the force of the Shemitah causes credit to be canceled and has to be wiped away. The nation's financial accounts are transformed, nullified, and wiped clean. The description again points as to an economic implosion, more specifically, a financial Collapse. Such collapses produce corporate failures, bank failures, foreclosures, and bankruptcies. Debt and credit are nullified. And in financial crises involving stock market crashes, financial accounts are transformed, nullified, wiped clean. Billions of dollars are wiped away in matters of Hours or minutes. The effects and consequences of the Shemitah consistently point in the direction of specific events and economic financial collapse. This resemblance of the Shemitah to an economic implosion has been noted even by the rabbis. And it even Uh, affects in cataclysmic ways. Earthquakes, floods, you name it, it could affect. What would the Shemitah look like today? The Shemitah declares God's sovereignty Dominion, 
and ownership over all things. It specifically touches the realms of nations' prosperity and sustenance. It manifests as the seventh year and is distinct from the six years preceding it. It bears witness that all blessings come from God. It humbles the pride of man. It bears man's total defense on God. Or it lays bare man's total defense on God. It separates wealth and possessions from the owner. It wipes away that which has built up in the previous years. It levels and balances and erases accounts. It causes cessation, pauses, interruptions, and endings. It reveals the link between the physical material realm and the spiritual realm. It bears witness against materialism. And it calls a nation to turn away from material pursuit and to the, uh, and to the spiritual, from material pursuit to the spiritual. It releases entanglement, attachments, and bondage. It brings about rest, the Sabbath. It calls the nations back to God. Such prophetic signs could be given to any nation. Wait a minute. Let me back up. In its first and original context, the Shemitah is connected to Israel. It is the only nation commanded to observe it. And as we have seen, it is still kept in varying degrees by the observance of that nation. We are not dealing here with the Shemitah as an observance, but as a prophetic sign, particularly as a warning or manifestation excuse me, of national judgment. Such a prophetic sign can be given to any nation as long as that nation in some way matched the description or shared the attributes of ancient Israel in the year 586 B.C. In other words, it would have to be a nation warning, a prophetic warning or manifestation of judgment, a nation in defiance of God's ways, this description could to varying degrees that much of the nations of the world, whether religious, secular, Hindu, Muslim, Christian, communist. Let's narrow it down a little further. A nation that had once known God, but had now turned away from him and rejected his ways. This description could match several of the world's Western nations, formerly seen as Christian, but now largely 
post-Christian. Let's narrow it down a little further. A civilization established on the Word of God, dedicated to His purpose, consecrated to His glory from its very inception. Now that reduces the field severely. You could argue that there's only two civilizations that fit that criteria. Israel and America. The first uh, American civilization was established and depicted at Cape Henry in Plymouth and Massachusetts Bay for the purpose of God. But let's take it even further. A civilization specifically established after the pattern of ancient Israel. Most would find it surprising to learn that America was uh, consciously, intentionally, and specifically formed, uh, founded and formed after the patterns of ancient Israel. Its founders saw it as new Israel, the Israel of the new world. It was their exodus from Europe, and like the Hebrew exodus from Egypt. The New World was the promised land, and the Massachusetts Bay Colony was their new Jerusalem. As for a legal system of the new American Commonwealth, the Puritans sought to incorporate the laws of Moshe. They instituted a day of rest after the pattern of the Hebrew Shabbat. In the American Holy Day, Thanksgiving was formed after the pattern of the Hebrew Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. They named the mountains of America after the mountains of Israel, Mount Gilead, Mount Hermon, Mount Ephraim, Mount Moriah, Mount Carmel, Mount Zion. They called their towns and cities Jericho, Jordan, Salem, Canaan, Goshen, Hebron, and Beersheba. They named their children Rachel, Ezra, Zechariah, Esther, Jeremiah, and a host of other names derived from the people of the ancient Israel. They even taught Hebrew in their schools and universities. One of the seals of the University of Yale appears a Hebrew word from the breastplate of the high priest. On the seal of Columbia University appears the Hebrew name for God, the ancient Hebrew name. And on the seal of uh, Dartmouth University appears the Hebrew words translating to the Almighty God. America is linked to ancient Israel as undergirded its national identity in one form or another, consciously, unconsciously, from the time of its inception onward. It is clearly evident 
at the post, uh, at, at the time of American independence, when Benjamin Franklin proposed that the new nation's great seal should be the image of Moses parting the Red Sea. While Thomas Jefferson proposed that the Israelites journey through the wilderness. The connection is unique, deep, interesting. The patterns of ancient Israel is embedded in our DNA of American civilization. And it is the root from which America sprang. One observer wrote, no no Christian community in history identifies more with the people of the book than did the early settlers of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, who believed their own lives to be a literal reenactment of the biblical drama of the Hebrew nation. So clues of a Shemitah is seven-year cycle, a specific seven-year cycle of the biblical Smita, the seventh year of the specified seven-year cycle, the Hebrew month of Tishri, financial and economic collapse, and the Hebrew month of Tishri governing with the year of the Shmita, the autumn wake that seals the end of the seventh year, the Hebrew month of Tishri in convergence with the year of the Shemitah, and the Hebrew month of Tishrei in convergence with the climatic end of the Shemitah year, the Hebrew month of Elul, or proximity to it points of great impact, the Hebrew month of Heshvan, which begins where Tishrei ends. So let us look at some of the climatic things that happened in our history and when they happened. The crash of 1901 through 1903 is known as the Struggle of the Titans. It was brought about by the struggles of E.H. Harriman, Jacob Schiff, and J.P. Morgan, trying to gain control of the Northern Pacific Railroad. The crash of 1916 and 17. We know that is the First World War. The crash of 1930-32 was the Great Depression. The crash of 37 and 38 was the, great, uh, the recession of the Great Depression. The crash of 73 
multiple crises. There's the oil crisis and various other na- uh, nations and international crises. And then the crash of 2000-2001. This is the dot-com crash. And you might say that there was a cataclysmic event that happened then also with the destruction that 9-11 brought on. And incidentally, uh, 9-11, if memory serves me right, was a little 29. And then the crash of 2007-2008, the Great Recession. So does the Shemitah affect us? Do we come under it? Do we fall under it? Well, like he said, Israel falls under it. But we planned this nation as a godly nation, our, our forefathers did. And we have not kept the Shemitah. And I think it's Coming back to us. Our forefathers dedicated this nation to God. And I think the sin of the grandfathers and the fathers is now visiting the third and fourth generation. This nation as a whole has turned so far away from God that we shouldn't really even call it a godly nation anymore. People say, I'm a Christian. Okay, when did you give your life to God? Oh, I was was born here in in America. America is a Christian nation. I'm a Christian. My parents were a Christian, therefore I'm a Christian. No, that doesn't make you a Christian or a believer. Like Keith Green said, no more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. They, they will make you one, but you've got to order it first. So what does it all boil down to? My opinion, what it comes down to, is our parents and our grandparents have sinned. And we have sinned in not knowing. There's no excuse. We need to repent. And we need to pray for revival like we have never prayed for it before.
Our Heavenly Father, we praise you. We come before you now, Lord. We humble ourselves before you, Father. We ask for forgiveness, Lord. Forgiveness of our fathers, our grandfathers. Forgiveness for this nation, Father. Forgiveness for our government officials, O oh Lord. And we ask that you quicken all of our hearts, O oh Lord, including the government official, Father. If they turn back to you, O oh Lord. We pray for a revival in this country, Father. We pray that it come back to you, Lord. Father, we ask for forgiveness. And if there's to be a judgment on this nation, Father, for not repenting, then see us through it, O Lord. We look to you for our daily provision, O Lord. We look to you, Father, to carry carry us through each and every day. We do not know what tomorrow will, will bring. But we're believing in you to carry us through it. We thank you and praise you in Yeshua's name. Amen.